All right, let's take our Bibles tonight. Thank you, Brother Vaughn. And let's go to Jude. And I'll tell you what, you go to whatever chapter you want to, all right? Some of you that didn't laugh, that's okay. When you get there, you'll find out why everybody else did. I'm going to go to the book of Jude. And let's just go to chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to follow along as I begin to read here in verse number 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... And I'm going to have to pause a couple times through here, just bear with me. But I'm so thankful that the salvation that God offers is a common salvation. It's available unto all. And whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. I'm just thankful for that. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. What he's saying here is that there are some ideas, some doctrines, some truths that are authoritative. We're still on our subject. There's some ideas, there's some doctrines that are authoritative that have been passed down to you. And I wrote to you that you would earnestly contend or stand up for or fight for these authoritative truths. It's almost like Jude has the understanding from the Holy Spirit of God that that which is authoritative will come under attack from time to time. And it's got to be stood up for and defended. And he says, in verse number 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Now when he says who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, what he means is, that these people have been written about in the past and they're still around today. It's not the same people, but it's the same classification of people. It's people that don't care anything about authority. They don't care anything about truth. Uh, When I was in the teen class on Sunday morning, we talked about Proverbs 18.2, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that the heart may discover itself. That's the world we live in today. This is the message that's preached. You need to just discover yourself and you need to follow your heart and and you need to dream big and follow your dreams and all this kind of nonsense. And it is nonsense. Because like I told the teenagers Sunday morning, you can't know who you are until you know who He is. He created us. He made us. How can we know who we are until we know who He is? But these men were written about in time past, and they're still around today. Who are they? Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. In other words, because God's not raining down fire and vengeance, they take that as a license to do whatever they want to do. But their day's coming. The judgment of God is coming. 
and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. If I could just sum up these three things, God doesn't forget wrongdoing. God doesn't forget those that challenge His authority and do what they want to do. Their day's coming. Verse number 8. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he, uh, dis- he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. And I'm not going to read the whole next verse, but this ought to sum it up right here. Woe unto them. Now, this isn't the woe I grew up around. I grew up in Kentucky, around a lot of horses. You know what woe means. Woe means stop. It's a different kind of woe. This woe means last chance. That's what W-O-E means. It means last chance. Last chance to turn. Last chance to repent. Last chance to agree with God. Last chance to humble yourself. Woe unto them! Exclamation point. Heavenly Father, would You please, God, help me tonight as I preach Your Word. And Lord, I pray that You'd help us to receive it. God, please speak to my heart and speak to the hearts of the people that gathered here for this very purpose tonight, to hear from Your Word. And Lord, would You just take Your Word tonight and bring it to life right before us, that we might see the truth of Your Word and Lord, make application to our own personal lives because without that, we really haven't accomplished anything. So God, we need your help in that tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Last night we talked about truly accepting and putting ourselves under biblical authority. And you don't have to, I don't want you to respond audibly, and you don't even have to raise a hand tonight, but do we really believe that God's Word, or let's just take this passage for example, written almost 2,000 years ago, could put its finger right on an issue that's happening in front of our faces almost 2,000 years later? I mean, if it's a living book, it can do that. And it is a living book. It's the eternal Word of God that shall not pass away. And so what God's Word often does is puts its finger right on the pulse of things that we witness in our everyday life 
and, and, and expounds upon it in a way so that we as believers who are trying to earnestly contend for the faith can say, I see exactly what's going on here. Because of God's Word, I can, I can see uh, exactly what's happening here and being able to identify it in the truth of God's Word We can be able to know what position we're supposed to take and how we're supposed to think, and that's just how amazing God's Word is. And this passage is no different. Because there's always been, in every culture, in every time period, there's always been a group of people that want to challenge established truths. A little over 10 years ago, we came through a time that philosophers called the postmodern movement. And postmodernism was basically defined by this concept. It was taking the idea of absolute truth and doing away with it to present the idea that all truth is relative. Your truth, my truth, and we've already talked about this a little bit in a previous message, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Tonight. Now we are in the post-postmodern movement. Where the idea of relative truth has been fully accepted. And truth can be, this is according to the, the thinking of people today. Truth can be changed. It can be altered. And that shows up in so many different ways like the ways that Actual history, recorded history, is being revised so that it's presented in a completely different manner, in a completely different light than what actually happened historically. And people want to revise history to make it fit a particular agenda or something like that. And it comes from the idea that truth is not absolute. I I can alter truth to make it whatever I want it to be. And established truth has always been under attack. And we know that the Word of God has always had God's authority upon it. So anyone that doesn't like God, or according to Romans 1, does not want to retain God in their knowledge, obviously they're going to come on the attack to the truths of the Word of God and the authoritative position of the Holy Scriptures. And this is going on all around us. It's gone on in every age. There's always been people who have attacked the authority of God's truth, which is the only truth. And it's happening today as well. As a matter of fact, I would say in society, one of the greatest ways that we see that happening right before our eyes And I'm not talking about 10 years ago or 5 years ago, but I'm talking about today, especially in the last couple years, is something called social justice. Is that a new concept to anybody? Now, some of you just got really nervous because you've been told that anything political should never be mentioned from the pulpit. And the pulpit is no place for politics. And as a matter of fact, if you talk about politics from the pulpit, you could lose your 501c3 status. Which, as we all know, is found in the Bible. And if I could just challenge you a little bit, if you give to the Lord through your local church, 
for a report to turn in on your taxes every year, you're given for the wrong reason. And if no church had a tax-exempt status, you still ought to give the same amount in tithes and offerings to the Lord through your local church. So that really shouldn't have anything to do with it. Well, I know, preacher, but separation of church and state. Go read your history and you'll find out that the reason the idea of separation in church, of church and state exists is not to keep God's people uh, uh, from speaking up about civil government, but to, to keep civil government from making decisions in the work of the Lord through the local church. We're not under the government of the church. Now we need to, we need to find our place there, like we've already mentioned about authority, and we need to do our best to follow after peace with all men, but there were times the apostles had to come to the conclusion we ought to obey God rather than men. And I think this is somewhat significant because I didn't know that in my uh, lifetime of serving the Lord as a pastor that I would ever reach a point where I would have to come right to the cusp of making some decision like that. But 2020 sure presented some opportunities that caused deep study of the Word of God and prayer about how to lead our church during, during the 2020 year about things that the government was saying and how it affected the worship of the Lord through the local church. And if we think that's done, our head's in the sand. That was just a taste. So we better know what authority we're under. And we better know who our head is. And, and we better know where we fit into this process and I am going to talk, not to make anybody uncomfortable, but I am going to talk about social justice tonight because it's a big issue. And I believe that at the root of that issue is the idea of a hatred for authority. The whole root of the social justice movement is to, is to challenge authorities and authoritative ideas that have stood for a long, long time. And so, what's amazing is, the, the, the whole premise of the social justice movement is actually laid out by this Bible writer, Jude, here in this little bitty book of the Bible. And what he says about these people are, they are filthy dreamers. It's interesting that that's what he calls them. That they're filthy dreamers. They're filthy dreamers that defile the flesh, meaning that the real reason why they're doing what they're doing is because of their own flesh and their own lusts, and they've decided that they are going to be their own authority regardless of what God or anybody else says. And so I'm going to believe what I want to believe, I'm going to change anything I want to to meet my agenda and I'm going to profit myself off of my ideas. And so in order to do this, you can't do this in reality because reality doesn't allow you to do that. So you have to go to your imagination in order to do that. Which is, by the way, where dreams take place. The reason God calls them Dreamers is because the problems that they're standing up for are imagined problems. They're dreamed up problems. They don't necessarily exist in reality, 
But they exist in the imagination and that's enough for them. Because through that imagination, if they can get enough people on their side, they can personally profit from the ideas created in their own imagination. I'm not trying, but I can see the discomfort on faces tonight. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I'm trying to point out the truth of the Word of God that's happening before our very eyes. I think one of the most obvious examples of the layout that Jude gives us here in his Word is this issue of the idea of the authority of law enforcement in our country. You ever heard the words defund the police? It's amazing how some city leaders are walking back hard on that right now. And if you think they're walking back hard on that right now, wait till we get closer to elections. Then they'll take the ideas that they were spewing a year ago and say that somebody else was saying them and they never said that. Why? Because these people don't operate in reality. They operate in their imagination. They're filthy dreamers that are trying to satisfy their own lusts and their own flesh. And in the process, they're defiling their own flesh. And so, and so this whole defund the police thing came about on the, in the name of police brutality and racial injustice. But do some homework. Do some research. What they say is systemic doesn't exist in the numbers. This is not my opinion. This is not my idea. A man named Kyle Reyes wrote a fantastic article in a publication called uh, Law Enforcement uh, Law Enforcement Times, I, I believe it was. And, and what he wrote was, here are the real numbers, decide for yourself. And he took the latest year that the figures were available of times that police in the entire United States of America used what is called deadly force, meaning they took someone's life in the performance of their duties. And, and what the numbers showed in the most recently available data was in the most recent year where the numbers were available, there were 998 lives taken by law enforcement that year in the country. 226 of those were black. 460-something of those were white. You run the percentages, it's different than what the filthy dreamers say. It's different than what the media imagines in the dream that the that the media puts out there to, to further agenda to tear down authority. Regardless of where you stood on Donald Trump, everybody in here would have to agree that for four years of that man's presidency, they had to be some of the darkest, if not the darkest years in the history of the United States of America when it came to the idea of respect for authority. Led by the media. I said led by the media. And it went from the media to the populace. And there were, there were things about the personality and even the character of Donald Trump I did not like. 
He's still the President of the United States. I might further this right now. Joe Biden is the President of the United States. That office deserves respect. Absolutely it does. Same was true when Barack Obama was President. It's, it's kind of amazing. I've read that Bible cover to cover, and it doesn't say if you don't agree with the platform of a civil government authority then you can turn on him and talk bad about him. It doesn't say that at all. Rather, what it does say is, pray for all that are in authority that we might live godly and peaceable lives. That's what the Word of God says. So if we're going to talk about our government leaders to anybody, according to the Word of God, it ought to be to God. I'm just saying what the Bible says. But man, for four years, it was open season on authority. And things were said that were abysmal. I, I mean, just an all-out assault. To the point that we're at a place in our country today where authority is not important at all. You can challenge any authority. As a, as a matter of fact, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh and despise dominion. You know what dominion means? We talked about it Sunday morning. It means authority. And those that are in authority, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh and they despise dominion. What despise means is to set aside like it's nothing. To discount, to discredit. These filthy dreamers, they discredit or discount authority and speak evil of dignities. Dignities are people or ideas that are worthy of honor in reality, but they speak evil of them. Why? Because they've dreamed up some imagined charge against them, and they just spout off at the mouth against what God says is proper authority. Come on, can we see this? And this, 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 whole, this whole ideology uh, took, took on a very clear form in our own country. With this whole... Uh, I even heard words like this. We've been in a COVID pandemic and now we're in a racism pandemic. And all the police out there are racist. And, and I'm telling you, every day they're, they're slaughtering our young men and our young women on the streets. There's not a shred of evidence that proves that. The only place that exists is in the imagination of filthy dreamers who seek to discredit authority. And they speak evil of dignities. And I'm going to skip a verse, but don't worry, I'm going to come back to it. But if you go down to verse number 10, he says, but they speak evil of those things they know not. Well, I'll tell you what, this King James is just so hard to understand. That's sarcasm. You know what he's saying right there. They don't know what they're talking about. They're in such a frenzy to tear down anything that has honor or authority They'll speak evil of things they don't know what they're talking about. 
Come on, we saw this too. Tearing down monuments. Defacing, vandalizing monuments. And for reasons that aren't even true. George Washington, father of our country. No doubt in my mind, an imperfect man. Oh, is that right? An imperfect man. I don't have, I wouldn't have to sit and debate for a long, long time that George Washington probably had ideas that I disagree with. But does that mean that that man is not worthy of honor as a founder of our nation today? That's ridiculous. But they're defacing monuments and statues. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not big on monuments or statues to any man. I don't believe we ought to honor man. I'm not big on graven images. As a matter of fact, there's some things in the Bible about that too. Come on, we, if we're going to have a biblical perspective, let's have a whole biblical perspective. But it's not the idea, I'm not talking about tonight, the idea of whether there should be a statue to this person or not, but the way that that was treated and the attack upon the idea of who that person was is absolutely ridiculous. And revisionist history and imagined problems and complications that only exist in the imagination of a filthy dreamer. For the purpose of despising dominion and speaking evil of dignities. Christopher Columbus, boy, you ought to do some historical study about Christopher Columbus. It might surprise you some of the things he believed and stood for. So many Confederate monuments. I don't mind telling you, since I was in high school, I've been a Civil War nut. I've read a lot of Civil War history and I'm fascinated by the Civil War. It's a very dark, dark time in our, in our nation's history. But in some ways, it was a necessary time in forging the nation, the freedom that we have today. And I know that there's a lot of light cast upon the idea of slavery with the, with the Civil War. And let me just say outright tonight, slavery in any form is wicked. It is godless. It is awful. It is horrible. And it is a blight on our nation's history. I'd stand with anybody and say that. But anybody who says that the entirety of the fighting that was going on during the Civil War was all about slavery doesn't know what they're talking about. They don't know history. They don't know that Thomas Stonewall Jackson, a godly man, by the way, who quoted Scripture to his men every day, Thomas Stonewall Jackson was on record as saying, we should have freed the slaves and then fired on Fort Sumter so as to not allow this issue to get caught up in the fray. Because he was not for slavery. He, he, didn't, he didn't believe that that's where, what our nation was about. And I don't have any doubt some were fighting for that. I, I don't doubt that plantation owners got behind the Confederacy to further their ability to exploit slaves. There's always bad people in the mix. There's always sinners seeking themselves. But largely, the Confederacy fought for states' rights and the ability to states to govern themselves 
without the oversight of a federal government. And when they settled in Appomattox Courthouse, it wasn't so much a win-lose situation as a settlement between the ideas that we need a union so that the country can be preserved and so states can be brought together. But ladies and gentlemen, look around in the country we live in today and you will find that most of the legislation that goes on in our country happens at the state level, not the federal level. And that's because of what the Confederacy Confederacy fought for. And it wasn't done away with after the Civil War. And there were good men on both sides who had the same ideas expressed differently that came to blows about how it should go down. And it was an unfortunate time. But if you'll just study the actual history of the situation, you'll realize there were actually people on both sides worthy of honor. Who had truth and righteousness in mind and the good of our country in mind. But truth doesn't matter to a filthy dreamer. Just their agenda. Just self-advancement. So, Jude said, they speak evil of things they know not. But what they do know as brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. In other words, you know what a brute beast knows? (laughs) Attack. Fight. Kill. Destroy. That's what a brute beast knows. And that's all the filthy dreamer thinks about. Attack. Kill. Destroy. Maim. Overcome. Subvert. And in this they corrupt themselves. Might as well just go ahead and... I mean, I'm this far, so... Might as well talk about it. Black Lives Matter... In uh, September of last year, Fox uh, News reported the Black Lives Matter organization had removed from their website a page called What We Believe because of the backlash they were getting over it in which they said that one of the purposes of their organization was to disrupt the nuclear family structure. Their website said that they recognized that an archaic idea of family structure was plaguing our country. And it needed to be disrupted, and that was one of the purposes of their organization. Can I remind you tonight that nuclear family structure is an authoritative idea and has been because it carries with it the authority of the Holy Word of God. God created the family, and God said that society is to be built upon the structure of family units. Mom, dad, and kids. Husband and wife. That's God's idea. That's God's authority. And they were getting backlash over that, so they took that page down. But they left their donation page up. And in 2020, the organization received $90 million dollars. A publication called Town Hall released uh, on May the 27th of this year that one of its co-founders was resigning after receiving backlash for purchasing 
for $1.4 million their fourth house in a posh California neighborhood and having millions of dollars personally in the bank. And the co-founder of this organization is fighting for justice and equality. And to them, those are bywords. They don't care what those words actually mean because to them, they only mean what they mean in their dream. They only mean what they mean to their own fleshly desires and their own fleshly lusts. And so when the backlash came after buying a fourth house for $1.4 million, the co-founder said, I'm going to resign, step aside. And oh, by the way, it has nothing to do with the backlash over the fourth house for $1.4 million. That's where we are. I'm just pointing out tonight that you live in a Jude 8 through 10 society that has put the stamp of approval on dreaming up accusations toward authority through the imagination, giving self-justification to cast off that authority and speak evil of things that are worthy of honor, even though you don't really know what you're talking about. Kind of fits, doesn't it? And I'm not, I'm not against anybody saying amen. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest, when I'm preaching, I like an amen every now and then. It just helps me. It helps me know that we're together, that we see it. But if you think that I came to this pulpit tonight to just preach about what's obviously going on in our country, that's not going to do us a whole lot of good. So let me just do this. Let me just say, Jude gave the overarching idea of what's going on. We see it in pronounced ways in our society right now, but what's the possibility that that same idea is creeping its way into homes and churches and workplaces. And not by the godless sinners out here, but by the saints of God at revival on Tuesday night. Come on, you're here on Tuesday night. That means you're in. You're committed. You came to church on Tuesday night. I know who I'm preaching to. But I also know this. It is rare that something goes on out there that doesn't try to find its way in here. And it's rare that something goes on outside of our homes that the ideology of it doesn't try to creep in unawares inside the walls of our dwelling places. And here's how it gets in. Remember that flesh Jude talked about? There's the door. That's where it comes in at. We've all got one. 
We all have a flesh, and, and all, all of us have a flesh that is trying to dictate what we think and the decisions that we make. And this flesh wants to be gratified. It wants to be satisfied. It wants to be exalted. It wants to be lifted up. It wants to be fulfilled. And all of us have to deal, Paul said this, all of us have to deal with an old man of flesh that lives within us that is always seeking its own selfish ambition. You say, well, preacher, I'm saved. I've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're still dragging that old dead corpse around. And that old dead corpse is always trying to come back to life. And it always wants the authority in your life. And it always wants the dominion in your life. But as you, as you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, you know because the Spirit of God lives within you that God has set authorities in your life. And so if you're going to cast authorities out of your life, you know that you've got to find a reason that justifies why you can cast that authority aside and let your flesh have its own way. What's this look like? Well, <clears throat> it looks like this. Wives, you don't need a month and a magnifying glass to find an imperfection in your husband. There should have been some men in here that said amen to that. Can't, can't believe there's no honest men in this church, Brother Bill. I said, wives don't need a month and a magnifying glass to find an imperfection in their husband. And when somebody wants what the flesh wants more than submission to biblical authority, all they need is one imperfection. And then here's what happens. They allow that one imperfection in their imagination to become much bigger of an issue than it is in reality. Because the bigger this issue becomes in their imagination, the easier it is for them to self-justify the feeling that they don't have to follow His authority. I'm just saying forget what the Bible says. When you want to do what the flesh wants to do, you need a justification... And you don't have to look hard to find an imperfection because they're there all over the place. So what happens is you find that imperfection. It's pretty easy to do. And then you allow that, that imperfection to grow in your imagination to where pretty soon in your imagination He doesn't love you anymore. He doesn't care about you. He, he doesn't seek your interests. He, he doesn't want to be in this relationship and I'm just telling you, you allow in your imagination this thing to blow up to this point where you justify your own decision to say, I'm going to set aside His authority. I don't have to follow Him anymore because He's not the leader He's supposed to be and because He's not who God says He's supposed to be. And let's just be honest, men, often we are not. But all it takes is for a wife to blow this thing up in her imagination, give herself self-justification to despise His authority, and then the next step is this. She starts talking bad about him. 
God help you who you talk to. Because sometimes it's to that guy at work who has a listening ear. And make no mistake about it, the devil will always make sure one of those bozos is around. And all of a sudden you start to view him as meeting your emotional needs more than your own husband that you stood before God and witnesses and made a vow to and a commitment to till death do us part. And now all of a sudden you're looking at somebody else who's meeting your needs more than your husband. And I've seen situations where the husband still thinks that he's meeting those needs. He doesn't even know she's already gone. And it might not be that she's gone physically, but emotionally and in her flesh, she's already despised dominion and she's speaking evil of dignities. And the whole problem she's complaining about doesn't really exist in reality but she's made it because she wants to follow the flesh. You know what I'm seeing a lot in Christian homes today? I'm seeing kids that are growing up just teenage years, right after teenage years, right around college years. And by the way, universities are one of the worst breeding grounds for godlessness in our country today. I don't, I don't mean that a godly young person can't go to, to a state or private university and, and be a good Christian. But let me tell you something. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to be the exception rather than the norm. I'm not saying don't do it. You follow the Lord's real leadership in your life. But you better gird up your loins with the girdle of truth and have on the breastplate of righteousness. And you better be ready to take a stand. And it's not going to be easy. Because if this social justice mentality is creeping into anywhere in Christian homes, it's doing it through older kids a lot of times. Especially kids that grew up in homes like some of you are trying to have for their protection in God's glory. I'm talking about the kind of home where the Bible has priority and separation is a real thing and there's some standards to keep us separated from the world and protected from the dangers of this world. And just like the social movement, social justice movement that's going on out there, there's young people that are just getting out of the home, and all of a sudden the next thing you hear out of their mouth or the next thing they're spouting all over social media, I wish I had time to preach on that. But next thing they're spouting all over social media is how bad of a victim they are of growing up in your home where you never did anything but love them, pray for them, provide for them, care about them, and have some standards to protect them from the world. But now all of a sudden, they've got out and they've heard about some isolated incidents in some legalistic homes. And by the way, there is such a thing as racism in America. I don't deny that. It, it's not the imagined problem of the social justice agenda, but it does exist. And I hate it. I'm there, so I'm going to say it. Study the Bible. Have a biblical view. There's one race. That's the human race. 
It's the only race there is. It has nothing to do with skin color. Read your Bible. Read real science. Some people have darker skin because ancestrally they grew up closer to the equator where there was more UV radiation and so therefore their skin in a way God helped them to adapt to developed more uh, melanin in the skin to protect them from UV radiation. So they're darker than people who live closer or further away from the equator. It's that simple. But it's not like there's all these races. There's one race. The human race. We all came from Adam. And we need to look past skin color. Which, by the way, I like the way Ken Ham says this. We're all brown. I know that's going to bother somebody. (laughs) But we're all different skin shades. And it varies. Of course it does. Because we have different genes and we have different ancestries and things like that. But we're all the same race of people. Come on. And I understand that there's a real thing called legalism. But young people, can I encourage you tonight? Just because you grow up in a home where your parents have some standards to keep you covered up and not reveal the shame of your nakedness like the Bible talks about. And just because you got a dad who says, you're not wearing that out of this house. Boy or girl. And just because you got a you got a mom or you got a dad who says, no, that's boys' clothes and that's girls' clothes. This is this is the world we're living in right now. Let's let's just understand where we are. Just because you grew up in that house doesn't mean that you are the victim of abuse. That's in your imagination. That's just social justice in your own home. It's just in your imagination. You've dreamed that up. And now you want to play the victim card. And the sad thing is that people who play the victim card based on things that only exist in their imagination only serve to take the the help away from so many people who are the legitimate victims of actual abuse around us. It's a shame. I'll tell you right now, young people, just because you you were raised up in a house where you were told no a few times doesn't mean you're the victim of legalism. And that you can grow up and throw a fit on social media and speak evil of your parents and call them everything but good to get the sympathy of others. And there'll, be all, there'll always be those sympathizers that'll pat you on the back. Oh, I'm so sorry. You had to go through such a horrible, horrible situation. Give me a break. It's not real. You're just being a filthy dreamer for your own lust of your own flesh. Well, I don't like I don't like my job. <laughs> Who does? I don't mean that literally. I mean some people really like their job. But nobody likes work. Everybody wishes they had a different schedule, at least almost everybody. 
Or some people, most people wish they didn't have a schedule at all. Wouldn't that be nice? So, you pray about it and God puts you in a means of providing for your family or helping to provide for your family. You decide you don't like it, so you find some imperfection in your boss and it's not hard to do because there's not a boss out there that's perfect, just like there's not a parent that's perfect or a husband that's perfect. There's not a human authority that's perfect. So you find some imperfection in your boss and you blow up in your imagination how bad of a work environment it is and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's just possible that none of what's really bothering you exists in reality, but you blow it up in your imagination and then you cast off authority and then you start speaking evil. You see how this works? Well, what about Church. I wonder if anybody ever gets a burr under their saddle about something that happens in God's house among God's people. Well, of course! You know why? Because there's not one of us in here that's perfect. And it's usually the person who says, I just don't like their personality. Who has one of the worst personalities of anybody? And let's just be honest. Our personalities rub, a, rub each other the wrong way from time to time. But it's not our personalities that bring us together in unity. It's our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our love of God that brings us together. And it's our submission under biblical authority that brings us together. I mean, you're blessed. Because you're one of the only churches I can say this about, but you actually have a perfect pastor that never makes mistakes. And whoever laughed at that, he's taking names right now. Everybody in here knows this man's not perfect. But I'll tell you this, this man doesn't think he is either. That's one of the reasons he is a good pastor. Because he doesn't... He doesn't put on this pretense like he's got it all together and he knows everything. Because he doesn't have it all together and he doesn't know everything. And I'm not talking about bad, bad about your pastor because I know some of you might be carrying right now. And you really love your pastor and I know that. So I'm going to be really careful what I say about your pastor right now. But I'll say on good, good authority of the Word of God, he's not perfect. And he does make mistakes. But did you know if an imperfect pastor is the only reason ha someone has for leaving the church? That's not a good reason. If that was a good reason, any church with a pastor would have zero members. It's the truth. It's the truth. No, your pastor is not perfect. So how does this situation work? I mean, he's a man of God. He's leading this thing. And yes, biblically, the authority belongs to the congregation, but the congregation has at its head an under-shepherd who's under the chief shepherd who leads and recommends and guides, and that's Bible. I mean, he's called an overseer. He's said to have rule. That's Scripture. So he has authority. How's this thing work if he's not perfect? Well, it 
can only work if the people are first surrendered to biblical authority. Which, by the way, is the only way a marriage relationship can work. And the only way a parent-child relationship can work. And the only way a boss-employee relationship can work. And the only way a pastor-church member relationship can work is if our first priority is to biblical authority, because then when we see the imperfections in our authority, we don't allow our imagination to blow them up to give us a self-justification for casting that authority aside. But on biblical authority, we read things like this, Be ye kind and tender-hearted one to another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So lady, when you see that imperfection in your husband, you've got a choice. You can let it blow up in your imagination or you can follow biblical authority and forgive him and move on in your proper place. And kids, when you see those hypocrisies and inconsistencies and errors in your parents, and you don't have to look hard to see them, I wish I was a way more consistent father than I was. But I have a lot of inconsistencies and hypocrisies. And I know my kids see them. But I hope that my kids will submit to biblical authority that when they do see the inconsistencies and errors and hypocrisies, they'll forgive me and move on in their proper place in God's authority structure. Same for work, same for church. Because the other option is pretty ugly. Verse number 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. couple things real quick. Moses died at the hands of God. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 34, God buried Moses. What a funeral that must have been. Where the officiant was God Himself. He buried Moses. And then, I don't know when... I don't know a lot of details about it. It's the only mention of it in the Bible. But the devil wanted Moses' body. And so God sent Michael the archangel to defend the body of Moses from the devil. Now, anybody know anything about Michael the archangel? Boy, you ought to go read. That's an angel right there. He's an archangel, and he's like the captain of the angelic host. In the modern vernacular, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful at all, but in the modern vernacular, he would be a bad dude. I mean powerful, angelic being. And he is contending with, Mo- with, with uh, the devil over the body of Moses. Now, I'm going to ask you to put some thought to this for just a second. 
None of us can say dogmatically what the devil wanted with the body of Moses. But I can pretty easily say his intentions were not righteous. Can we agree on that tonight? I'm pretty sure he was up to no good. And don't you think that Michael knew the devil? The devil's intentions with the body of Moses weren't good? No, I think we could say it like this. Michael knew that the devil was dead wrong for whatever he wanted the body of Moses for. But here's something else you need to know. In God's creative order, Lucifer was higher than Michael. As a matter of fact, I don't know exactly what the title of Lucifer's position was, but it's apparent from Scripture he was over all angelic beings and became so lifted up with pride that he wanted to sit on the throne of the Most High. He wanted to be above God Himself. And Jesus said, I was there when I saw Satan cast from heaven as lightning down to this earth where he was made the God of this world. And he hates God. And his fate is sealed. And he is doomed to everlasting destruction. But right now, he's alive and well. And he's free. And he's working. And he was at this time too. And for whatever reason, he wanted the body of Moses. And so Michael was sent to fight with him or contend with him over the body of Moses. But because of the creative order, Michael would not accuse the devil of wrongdoing with a railing accusation, but appealed to the Lord's authority. I don't know if you're getting this. Michael knew the devil was wrong and he knew he was dead wrong. But he didn't accuse his authority. He appealed to a higher authority to take care of his authority and let God deal with it. It's what God means when He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. If you see imperfection in your authority, Jude says you are not to bring against them a railing accusation, but appeal to the authority above them to deal with them as He sees fit and leave it in His hands. So many times, those that are supposed to be subject to authority read the Scripture like it says, vengeance is fine, I will repay. But that's not what it says. God said, vengeance is mine, not vengeance is fine. It's not fine for you to attack authority. As a matter of fact, Jude says here, it's dangerous. Jude says to those who would speak evil of dignities and go after authority and attack for things they don't even know what they're talking about, woe unto them. Turn around. Repent. Go back. Submit. Get on your knees. Talk to God about it. Even when you know they're wrong, and you know they're dead wrong. 
Go to God about it. Appeal to God's authority. If you've got a problem, uh, if you see some problem with your pastor, God help you if you utter one word to another member of the church about it. That's not your place. That's not your business. Get on your knees and talk to the Lord about it. And then after you've talked about it to the Lord, then you go to your pastor and you talk to your pastor about it. And you deal with it that way. But if I could remind you from Proverbs 7, there's seven things the Lord hates. And they culminate on the seventh one, which is he that soweth discord among the brethren. God doesn't take very highly to that. It's an abomination to them and He hates it. Young person, if you're going to get on social media and blast your parents, you are out of line with God. Woe unto you! Repent! Get on your knees and ask God to forgive you. And talk to your parent, talk, talk to uh, your God about the issues that you have with your parents. And then go to your parents and talk to them. But if you utter one word to anybody else, you're out of line. And lady, you're going to have problems with your husband. Because every husband has problems. But God still says He's the authority in the marriage relationship. And so when you have those problems, you talk to God about it, and you ask God to intervene on your behalf, and if the problem persists, talk to your husband about it, but woe unto you if you go anywhere else. I'm just saying, we don't need social justice. It's not good for our country. I guarantee you it won't work in the home. It won't work in the place of employment. It won't work in the church. God's justice is the only one that works. And God says there's ways to do things and there's ways not to do things. And messing up somebody's testimony or reputation just because you've got a personal vendetta, woe unto you. Woe unto you. It's a warning saying... Stop. Back up. Think about what you're doing here. And the best thing you can do is get on your knees and take it to God. I think we've covered a lot here. But it doesn't matter if we don't apply it. So here we go again. If God's spoken, are we going to respond? Are we going to get things right? Are we going to submit to biblical authority? Are we going to say, look, we see this horrible, horrible atmosphere going on out here in the world today. God help us if that's in our home. God help us if that's in our church. God help us if that's in my employment. And God help me if I'm the one that's bringing it in. Let's ask God to forgive us. And let's ask for God's help tonight. Heavenly Father, please, Lord, speak to our hearts. You said that Your Word reproves, rebukes, exhorts. And so, God, if You've spoken to hearts tonight, I'm, I'm just asking that Your people would be honest enough with You and with themselves that they would just submit, God, 
to say, God, you're right. Your way is perfect. And Lord, I just want to be in line. I just want to be in the place that I need to be. God, would you speak to husbands, wives? Would you speak to children, employers, employees? Would you speak to church members tonight, pastor, whoever you want to speak to, God? Speak to all of us. If we're out of line, God, would you show us tonight? And Lord, would you help us to get back in line? For your glory, for our good. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to let you remain seated as we get into the invitation tonight. If you'll just do this, would you respond if God's spoken to your heart tonight? Some are here.